everyone. Welcome to Season 2 of As Per Usual, a podcast for practical patient engagement. My name is Anna Hudik, and I am your host for this season. We're going to spend the first two episodes of the season talking about future areas of growth for patient engagement and research that we did not get to last season. As a reminder, we identified these areas of growth through a participatory study that investigated future directions for Canadian patient engagement and research. This study is currently undergoing peer review and we'll be sure to share it with you when it's published. So that said, today we're talking about approaches to engaging patients within current institutional funding models. As we can probably all agree on, most of patient engagement and research in general is heavily dependent on institutional funding, and there certainly are some challenges with the system. Like how do we meaningfully engage patients in helping set funding priorities and deciding on what projects should receive funding? How do we redesign funding opportunities to better support patients being engaged in developing grant proposals? And how do we build accountability mechanisms into grant funding to better ensure that patients are actually being meaningfully engaged once a study is funded. Our study participants came up with some possible solutions, like creating designated and well-supported positions for patients in funding allocation and grant review processes. They also suggested diversifying funding sources and creating more funding opportunities to support patient engagement in idea generation and grant development. And another idea was to require research teams to demonstrate a base understanding of patient engagement when applying for funding. Lastly, participants suggested requiring grant awardees to report on indicators that assess adherence to proposed engagement plans and formal evaluation of engagement processes. These are all important and big ideas to tackle. So to help us get started, today we have four guests that will share their experiences partnering to create a patient engagement strategy for research funding within the Canadian Cancer Society. Michael, Susan, Don, and Judith. Could you please introduce yourselves to our listeners? Hi, everyone. My name is Judith Tiketch. I'm the Senior Manager for Partnerships and Engagement at the Canadian Cancer Society. I'm excited to be here. My role at CCS is largely to bring a diversity of voices to the research funding uh, environment, and I'll pass it over to Suzanne. Hi, my name is Suzanne Bays. I was one of the patient partners in rural, uh, engaged in this uh, research study. Uh, my background, I was the caregiver for both my father and husband uh, who passed away from cancer. So uh, two different provincial uh, medical models and two different experiences through that. As well, I've done a lot of strategic planning work and technology advisory work as part of my other roles in life. Over to you, Don. Oh, thanks, Suzanne. Uh, my name's Don Wood. I'm in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, I was a caregiver for my late wife who passed away in 2020 and also lost my brother to leukemia uh, in the early 2000s. So I always say I live my uh, my life with cancer. Why I got involved was I, I saw some issues in the system and gaps when my wife first got sick. So I started volunteering from someone who came from a business background and I thought I had a different lens. So I've been in, very involved with the Canadian Cancer Society for the last three or four years. And, uh, you know, I think this work that we've done really is is revolutionary and brought together some some great people and some great minds with lived experiences, et cetera. So look forward to uh, today and to giving back. My name is, uh, thanks Don. My name is uh, Michael Tony. I am uh, a survivor of uh, childhood cancer and leukemia when I was eight years old. Um, that set me on a trajectory for a long career in, uh, in patient advocacy. Um, I'm also a uh, surgeon, uh, a senior neurosurgery resident um, at the University of Ottawa, um, where I look after patients as part of my, uh, my daily work, um, which is super rewarding being both a patient and uh, a physician. Um, I recently finished a PhD in biomedical research uh, at St. Kitts uh, Hospital in Toronto um, in uh, brain tumor research, um, which is another passion of mine. And uh, most of my advocacy work is the area of childhood cancer survivorship as well as um, adolescent and young adult cancers. Um, and I got into that um, basically from my own personal experience and along the way making friends um, who are also uh, either survivors of childhood cancer or actively going through um, cancer as uh, young adults. And we decided that we needed a stronger voice and create a, 
a community for us. And with that, I founded a cannabis fruit organization uh, called Childhood Cancer Survivor Canada that is run by survivors and it's uh, geared towards survivors to create um, education uh, opportunities for survivors, um, a place to connect with, um, and also somewhere to belong and have a unified voice for uh, for that population. And so I was really excited to hear about what the Canadian Cancer Society was doing because I think uh, being engaged in, uh, in research as patients is one of the most important things um, that needs to uh, take place if we are as researchers and as a medical community going to fully understand the impact of the work that we do. And so I was really excited to join. Thank you. And thank you all once again for being on here today. So let's launch right in. And could you please share with us why the Canadian Cancer Society decided to create a patient engagement strategy for research funding? So I'll take this one. Um, research and healthcare communities are building consensus across Canada and across the world on the benefits of patient engagement in cancer research. And research funding organizations are no different. We're looking to engage with patients. CCS recognizes the value of patient engagement and we wanted to implement patient engagement, but in a meaningful and systematic way within our research funding processes. And so what we really needed was a plan and we created one by it for patients, caregivers, and researchers. And could you tell us more about what this meaningful plan and strategy encompasses? Sure. CCS's patient engagement and research strategy is really a complete plan for engaging people with lived experience in research funding, start to finish. Um, it includes a vision and aim, guiding principles. It has four different ways to engage depending on your interests and your levels of availability and 13 patient engagement activities. It also includes a section on impact and evaluation, which has six statements for success. A description of the plan and more on engaging people in research funding can be found on our website online. And really the two key pieces of the plan is that the engagement is meaningful and that it's systematic throughout the research funding cycle. Could you describe the different ways that patient partners can be engaged within the strategy? One so there's a lot of different ways that the group thought of for engaging patient partners. When we originally did the thought storming exercise, I think the group came up with 60 different patient engagement activities. Um, now, even we recognize that's not practical, so we should prioritize that down to 13. So right now we have 13 patient engagement activities or different ways of being engaged or involved. But the main ones, I'll, I'll just cover a few. The way we think of it is to have that patient voice in all the parts of a research competition. So from when the research competition is just being thought of, to being created, to when it's actually had applications come in, to when it's funded. It, it, that's how we think about it. Along that continuum, at the very beginning, and then is our advisory council that helps advise on broad research direction. So we have patient members who are equal members of our council. They have a voice. I think there's three right now, um, 12 or 14 members, um, but we're, our council is going through a bit of growth and change. So that number might change, um, but they help to do things like suggest and set research directions or identify gaps where research funding might help. Then once an idea has come along for research funding, we actually have to develop an RFA or a request for application. And we have program advisors or people with lived experience help develop that. So, you know, what types of requirements should we have in our uh, research competition that's important to patients that would make sure they get, you know, the right type of content across from a researcher. Then the competition goes live and hopefully researchers apply. Once we get an application, then we have the review cycle. And that scientists, the researchers, and our patient reviewers, equal members again, who review and make some of those evaluations on whether the research is scientifically meritorious, but also relevant, if all those types of questions. And our patients score just like our, our researchers. So everybody has the same weight or waiting in terms of voice. And then at the end, we think about, well, what about after? Once research has been funded, 
So we have things like having patient partners tell their story, uh, the significance of research and, and patient involvement in research. So we also work with our patient partners in terms of helping to integrate them into grants. So sometimes we match patient researchers. Um, so those are some of the ways in that kind of uh, part of the, the granting cycle. And we have others, but that's just to give an idea of the breadth of how people can get involved. And some of those are more complicated. So the reviewing is, it's complicated. It, you know, it takes two to three months or sometimes four months. It's 30, 40, 50 hours of a reviewer's time. Uh, there's training involved, there's meetings involved. Uh, and that's a lot more complicated than, for example, if somebody wants to tell their story or sometimes depending on the program, if the new competition we're creating, it might be relatively simple. So it could take one or two meetings or in a little bit of review, or it might be a little bit more complicated. So kind of a whole range of ways to get involved because it depends what people want. Suzanne, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think I think one of the things that was really important in developing this plan was that it had an action orientation at the end. And I'm really pleased to see that several of those activities have already been concluded. Uh, the plan finished last year and already we've made really, really big differences in how patient engagement is handled uh, right from start to finish. So adding people onto the advisory group, embedding various people into the actual research studies, um, having them evaluate as part of the evaluation team. You know, we bring a, a diverse uh, set of voices to those discussions. In, in some cases, we are researchers, and in some cases, we are patients. Sometimes we are strategists, etc. We, we carry many voices. So having patients involved in start-to-finish activities is really, really important to improve the impact of those research funds. And if we improve the research funding, ultimately we should be improving the impact on the patients themselves. Could you tell us more about how you came about in creating this strategy? How did it come to be? How did you conceptualize it? And what did you learn in the process of co-creating this strategy? Maybe I can start and then I'll pass it over. When we were starting out, one of the key things was that we need patient engagement from day one. So other than a single document that we created um, called the Terms of Reference that hopefully laid out we were expecting to do, create a strategy. Beyond that, we didn't create anything without patients, caregivers, researchers involved. So the first step beyond thinking we need a strategy was reaching out to find people with lived experience and researchers to build that team of who is going to create the strategy. As, as Judith mentioned, uh, there was engagement right from the beginning and each meeting sort of built on the one previously. And we all had homework every time prior to the meeting. It was it was like being back in school in some ways. And uh, what I was incredibly impressed with is the overall engagement of everybody that was involved. People came prepared. Uh, they came with, you know, a voice and an opinion and were very, very engaged throughout the whole process to make sure uh, that the work was top quality, you know, to a person. Everybody showed up. Everybody wanted to really make a difference. And I think that engagement of the entire group really made a huge difference in terms of the results of the work. What I recall most is uh, a certain amount of energy always present during our meetings. It was obvious that this area of patient engagement is something that I think patients have been wanting for a while, but have had difficulty. The fact you have an cancer society that's actively saying we need this and reaching out was finally like a breath of fresh air to have a venue where that voice can be heard to come together and actually feel heard. Uh, and that was a lot of the beauty behind all of the pieces that we had. We really felt like our voices as um, either caregivers or patients ourselves was finally being the only thing I would add was I think it's very bold. What CCS has done here is very bold. And other organizations and patient engagement organizations and advocacy groups are looking at it as a model. And I think that's a win in itself. And like my, you know, my colleagues have said here is we came together as a group with no expectations, but we connected kind of from day one. And it wasn't without hiccups uh, and, and stops and starts, which is what I think makes the body of work that came out of it and this beginning of it 
so important. I think that's a very important message that we heard a lot in season one. And I know just talking to researchers and patient partners in general, it's that understanding that you don't necessarily have to have all the answers. You don't have to know what something will look like because that's not what co-creation is. But it's the understanding that it's bringing together people at the table, having a terms of reference that helps lay out some sort of a common vision and then leaving the space for everyone it sounds like to come together as equals and to work together to shape things into being something great and I know it's often scary when you do it for the first time thinking what are the parameters what should things look like but to me that's a very powerful message to keep encouraging people in this space to know that the most important part is bringing people together deciding on a vision and then through that, trusting that you'll come together like any team to figure out what this vision will actualize into. Could you share with us any sort of um, facilitators or key challenges that you faced in creating the strategy and how you overcame that? Yeah, so I, I think that one, the terms of reference, making sure that everybody is on the same page. The other great facilitator that I found was the lack of an agenda or the lack of a plan. And when there's a lack of a plan, everybody feels like a geek because it's up to us to create that plan. Whereas if there's already a plan in place, you just, you feel like you're trying to fit into a mold that's already been created. And there's many, many opportunities that the so-called patient engagement that occur across the country and even internationally, whereby whether it's an organization or whether it's a team of researchers or or, or what have you, they really look for people to fill hole. And so you end up being this token person that's you in the tape. Whereas, you know, what we were able to do and what really facilitated the ability to create something um, was the fact that there was a lot of freedom, which made us feel like equals to build this the way that we thought it should work um, and not some kind of boxes to check. So that that was a huge facilitator for, for what we were able to accomplish. I mentioned it a little bit before, but we didn't go without running into some roadblock. One was was EDI and and recognizing and, and integrating diversity and inclusion into everything we were doing. And it was a cause, I'm trying to think back now, it, you know, it was a cause early on where we, we had to stop and go back as a group and relook at it because we recognized that we weren't getting that total diverse and inclusive voice that we needed. So we came back as a team. And we challenged it back out and actually went out and did some, you know, some further work to make sure that all voices and, and everyone was being heard and had a chance to be included. That was a water. For me, that was one of the watershed moments of the entire project because not often do you see a group kind of pull back and stop and say, ah, we're missing something. We're missing maybe a, a particular group or an ethnic population or whatever it may be, but we did that rigor and, and everyone was very collective on that. So we stepped back and that was one of the big homework pieces that came out of it was we recognized as a group that we needed to do that and we stepped back and we did it. And then, you know, as I kind of, when I think of it, like Michael just said, when I summarized the whole thing is I, I, I never felt threatened or pushed or anything else. It was very much a value add. And a, like I said before, a peer-to-peer -peer relationship that we had with everyone and I think that's why we were able to be so creative and bring together all of the information and education and work that people long you know, past ourselves had done to bring to the forefront so that we were bringing all of those voices and all of that information forward. And I think, you know, that's really something that gave us momentum for taking the project forward. Yeah, I think that really speaking to is the fact that this isn't a plan that was created by 14, 15 people and then tried to disseminate. It really went through a lot of rigor after that initial plan was put on the table. So we went out to the advisory committee on research. We got feedback from them, tweaked a few things. Then we went out to the much broader community. And that's when we started to realize that we really didn't have the diverse voices that we needed. And when we got that information back, we spent a lot of time really looking at what they said and perhaps valuing what they had to say even more critically than other voices that we'd already heard from. So I would say that this plan has had hundreds and hundreds of people's opinions forged into it, which I think makes the plan quite special. That takes extra time, but the end product is a lot better as a result. So now it's really trying to communicate that vision and make sure that 
that we adhere to the action plans that we put in place and keep the work going forward. That's amazing, especially to hear for other people as we're all trying to better and more meaningfully include a greater diversity of voices in all of our work. So could you give us some further examples of how your organization and your group has supported diversity and building relationships? CCS values equity, diversity, and inclusion, much like other organizations and people. And we all recognize that we have work to do to dismantle systemic barriers and discriminations. So we're learning from and working with organizations and Indigenous partners. We're trying to meet people and organizations at their table and in ways that work for them. Um, so as an example, uh, we conducted a roundtable for the Black community with lived experience of breast cancer to better understand their research priorities. This was one of the patient engagement activities in the plant. And we reached out to Black community organizations such as the Olive Branch of Hope, the African Cancer Support Group, and community health centers to spread the word. We co-designed the roundtable as members of the Black community, including one member who also led the conversation. And we ran multiple sessions at different times, including one in the evening, and offered compensation. And all of this together helped us get what we feel was really valuable, genuine input from the Black community on their breast cancer research priorities. And we're using that input to design a next round of health equity research grants. Yeah, the one thing that I would add I, I say this to many people is, you know, if you've ignored people for most of their lives and then you pick up the phone and expect a welcome response, sometimes you might be surprised. So this is heavy lifting work uh, and it doesn't happen overnight. So absolutely has to be done uh, and it has to be done with, with care and empathy and on their time frame. right? A lot of people are quite suspicious when you come to them if you've ignored them for a long time. So it's really important to really acknowledge that and then work with them in a way that's very meaningful. What's been great about what uh, the EDI goals, at least of the plan that we put together, is they're already in action. Uh, I've already been on a number of uh, uh, grant review committees whereby our decisions for funding allocation is is entirely influenced by, by whether EDI is in place or, or if it's not within uh, the, the project itself, the people who are running the project. These these things are already happening for for anything that's funded by CCS. Um, and that's all because of what we were able to do and put together with this plant, not just EDI in the in the project itself, but even EDI within the patient partners that are part of some of these, uh, that, these projects that are getting funded. So it's everywhere and it's in action. Um, which is uh, awesome to see um, because it's not just words on a page, it's, it's being lived out. Maybe I'll just add one thing, which is that I think it's a work in progress. So I think where we were at the start of creating the strategy is not where we are now. And even now, not where I hope to be in two years time from now. So it's a constantly evolving thing where we try to build more relationships, deeper relationships. We try to make more changes to research funding and in other places, kind of constantly changing. But it feels like the creation of the research strategy helped move that forward. I think like Judith said, I'm uh, reflecting because the next two days I'm in, I'm in grant reviews. Um, so this is very timely. And what we've learned, and I talked about this with a lot of people last week, in the last two rounds of grant reviews I've been involved in, we've gotten better and better each time. And we're seeing the researchers come to the table with their work, with better work, with more inclusion, uh, with with giving a true thought to this. And I think it becomes part of, hey, it's it's still a little bit new and it's a change and change takes time, but it's not a it's not a one and done. So I think we'll continue to evolve and learn. I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot more in the next couple of days, and I look forward to it and seeing kind of how far we've progressed and where we're going. So it's a it's a new work in progress, but we you know we're we're there. We have more than a baseline, like Michael said. This is real. This is here, and this is now. And um, it, it, we're seeing it live and in action every day. Do you feel as though as part of your iterative process of growth that somehow you've provided feedback to the people putting in these grants or maybe changed your grant calls to help people grow as well so that you are seeing these improvements within the projects that you're reviewing? Or what do you think? How does that work? Judith, I think this one could be a podcast all on its own, right? Crux of everything, right? 
and the iteration and the learnings. That's what's so important. And that's why we talk about um, where, where have we been, where are we going and what's next and how do we quantify it and how do we track it and how do we show that? Because the research community wants to see evidence and evidence-based, um, you know, things come out of this. So I think that's, for me personally, I think that's well underway and something we should all be really proud of already. Patient engagement and equity, diversity, and inclusion are intrinsically linked. It's one aspect of diversity to have people with lived experience at the research funding table. Um, and somehow patients seem to get EDI sometimes a lot better and a lot quicker. So um, what we found is with having patient reviewers on our review panels, they bring that focus of not just the relevance and impact to cancer, but they ask the questions about EDI and, and bring the focus back to that. And all of our, all of the applicants get feedback back on their, their grants. So they do get that back from their reviewers or from discussion if it went to panel discussion. Um, and we have changed even upfront. I mean, one of the statements we have now is that CCS requires or recommends meaningful patient engagement in all of its grants. So that is a boilerplate statement that that's, that's non-negotiable now that has to be there. So how do you feel that your strategy then, and you've touched upon some of this right now, um, and all of this work has changed the research funding at the Canadian Cancer Society? Some of the activities that were called out in the strategy that are now happening in research funding are things like we have patient engagement on our advisory council on research, which helps advise our research directions for grant funding. We have um, patient advisors co-creating new research competitions uh, in all of the last, I think about half a dozen research competitions we've created, patients have co-created them. And in reviewing uh, and funding research projects, we have patient reviewers or PSC reviewers, we call them, but they're, they're people with lived experience as equal reviewers. Uh, and they're on every single panel that we have. Speaking from the perspective as a, as a reviewer, because I've also been fortunate to be in, in that role as well, knowing that you're at a table of decision makers, but representing the perspective of a patient, um, and knowing that you're there as an equal participant in making a decision on what, what is being funded is one, um, hugely validating for the patient community. And, and two is, I think, very much eye-opening for scientific reviewers that are on that same panel with you because you know, I've been in situations where um, I've brought in the patient voice or the patient perspective as somebody engaged in the funding decision process, and it's completely changed the opinion of a scientist or of one of the other academic people on the, on the committee because there was a part of whether it was uh, the lived experience of that particular disease that would be funded or uh, a, a part of the patient experience in, in what was being uh, investigated in the actual experiments the study was. And it was something that scientists or, or, or some of these academic people just had no insight into and didn't realize how valuable that piece was. And, and so that that already is, is huge and transformative. But the other really transformative piece that I personally find is, is the biggest way is the fact that now patients are being engaged on these projects that we're choosing to fund. Patients are part of, you know, whether it's the experiments that are going on or part of the, the, the oversight committee that, that watches this project as it moves forward. We get to learn as reviewers all of the different roles that these patient partners are playing. Many of them are creative roles. Um, because researchers are, are now thinking outside the box when it comes to patient engagement. And we get to learn about how, whether they're, they're, they're young patient representatives that are part of the committees, such as students that, that are now being involved, or whether it's, you know, uh, you know, non-student or non-academic patient uh, participants. There's a lot of unique and really creative ways that scientists um, and teams have come together to bring patients into the decision-making process, the oversight communities for these projects. And I think that's just a real uh, win and, and a beautiful outcome for what, what has actually uh, happened at CCS. I was like a new dad last week when we, were at the, when we were at the conference. I actually got a chance to 
watch a presentation um, from someone whose grant review I was a reviewer on. And that was the first time that had happened. So I was like the proud dad. No one could know the proud dad sitting in the back going, I was one of those people who helped review your grant that you got funded for. And after they presented, you know, they put up their acknowledgements and they were hugely proud and they thanked CCS as an example for receiving this funding that changed their research. And to be involved in that, I think was, it was transformational. Like you said, Michael, you, you, you did a, a great job in summarizing all of that that we do. And I'm going to think about that tomorrow when I do it again for the next two days is I'm part of helping change people's future and giving advice. And, you know, the, the review that I, the presentation that I got to be a part of that I saw last week, they had patient engagement front and center in their presentation and talked about it. So I like to think that um, that was a real life experience on what we're doing and what we're giving back and, and seeing it for real now. So maybe we're, you know, maybe we're starting something and, and we'll see more of that tomorrow and the, and the next day. So, yeah. And I, th I think you can tell from, from Don's voice, the passion that these patient reviewers take in, in the work that they do. And I, you know, to CCS's credit, uh, anyone that does those kind of reviews or sits on research projects is paid for the work that they do. And a lot of researchers, I think initially were quite um, concerned about that, that, you know, scarce research money was going to fund patients, but CCS has increased the funding envelope to make sure that the patients are paid and, and that the work continues. So it's not, you know, taking anything away from the researchers, uh, the scientific community, it's, it's a plus and the work will be better as a result. So that also really helps equity so that people feel that, you know, that their voice matters and that they can do this work in a way that they are getting paid. Somebody else was trying to create a strategy like this. People want to bottle this magic that you people seem to have created together that you would say to them. That's kind of a soapbox answer, right? Yeah. Um, for me, it's, and I've seen it already, um, I actually talked to another organization this morning about it, is it sharing outward to other organizations and sharing the work that we've done. This work was published some six weeks ago-ish um, and is out there now. And, you know, Suzanne and I just presented on it live. Uh, we were, I think we were both competitive. We were gauging how many people were going to be in the room and people were clamoring at the doors to get in. And as Suzanne pointed out, we're in a, what's called a lightning session. We were the only patient partners that presented. And I think that in itself is a big moment and a watershed moment for what we're doing. And a lot of the people that were in that room, because you get to know a lot of people in this small community that we're in, were from other organizations. And they're keenly watching what CCS has been doing and, and where we've been at with this work. You know, on, I always say from, we're only at a beginning, we've got a long way to go. Um, but it's, it's, making change and it's an acting change and it's very positive and you know as you look around the room networking out like that i think goes a long ways and the healthcare community is a big community the research community is a massive community but i think it's also a small community everyone knows each other and there's a lot of sharing so i think we've already started that and part of what we've been doing in the last month and a half after this two and a bit years of build out has real momentum and it's upon us all i think to keep um to keep messaging that out and to keep spreading the message so that it gets bigger and better and we're challenged and we do that next piece of work. In terms of your question on how to follow this, we're looking back on two, two and a half years of work. And if I was starting out, maybe that would be a little bit intimidating, but I don't think that's how we started. I don't think at the beginning we were thinking of, you know, conferences to present that and that type of they, we were just going step by step. So we were laying out, you know, this is a section that we want to build. Now we want to do this. And that, you know, all kind of working towards our vision of a, a strategy. And so I think sometimes it's really important to just take it kind of step by step and not get lost in that big picture of everything needs to be built. It sure does, but you don't have to do it all in a day. Yeah, and I think the work that was done sort of after the, the plan was put together and the consultation was done, then uh, the work in terms of socializing it internally with the executive committee, I think was really, really an important step as well, because 
without their buy-in, you're not going to get funding going forward to continue the work. So, you know, I think as a group, we, we kind of problem solved on the fly in many ways, um, realizing, okay, what do we have to do next? And why is that important? And how long will it take? You know, as Judah and John and Don suggested that it's, you know, two, two and a half years of work, it seems like a long time, but you know, a lot of this consultation, you know, you have to go out to the community. It, it does take time. There's no question time. So keeping the team intact and committed and together is, is always kind of an interesting challenge of hurting cats, but, uh, the team stayed together. And I think that was, you know, a testament to Judith's work. I think it's important to, you know, that this research, you know, like the whole creation of the plan is, you know, sort of open source and published. So rather than, you know, everybody calling Judith 16 times a day, I think that's a really good resource to start for some people. Um, because it's pretty carefully laid out there what what went on and the components, the vision, you know, all of those pieces um, could be very helpful for others trying to replicate it. So how sustainable would you say these changes are that the Canadian Cancer Society is making? And what is helping with this sustainability? What helped glue keep the glue of you all together? I mean, I'd have an inkling that it is that equality, that community, that partnership, that joint feeling that you're all in it together. So you're going to see it through together. But that's just me reflecting what I've heard you say. So what would you say is the answer? Can start with the, the CCS pieces and the others fill it um our the strategy and i think actually suzanne alluded to this it was approved by both our advisory council and our leadership so it really has high level support and that means it's resource it's got people attached to it like myself at the organization it's got finances put aside budgeted for it um but beyond that the ccs community of staff patients donors and researchers are all very supportive of the work, as, especially as they see the positive changes rolling out. And you mentioned kind of that solidarity. I'll just say, I think that's one of the big surprises for me is the level of solidarity that I've seen among the patients, caregivers, and researchers and staff who overall kind of created the strategy there were many different opinions sometimes of how to do things, but overall, very much kind of um, everybody is swimming in the same river. Everybody was wanting to go towards a point. Um, so that was a nice surprise. Well, I think the fact that there's an evalu evaluation criteria on all the on all the work now, so it's it's hard to get out of now, and uh, I think that's a good thing, right? Like, I, it's going to be very, very difficult going forward. And, and one of the pieces of work, you know, action items that we did talk about is for some researchers, if they're not, you know, at a hospital, et cetera, if they're in, you know, another type of uh, milieu, they might not have, you know, access to patients uh, or caregivers uh, to put on on their research projects. So, CCS is committed, sort of in a soft launch now, and then in a more formal way, to pairing up patients uh, with researchers when it makes sense to. So, you know, almost running, you know, an, you know, what are patients' interests and, and expertise, and then try to pair them up and match them in a meaningful way, um, I think will really make a big difference going forward as well. So now as we start to kind of heel into the tail end of our podcast, could you please share with us some practical information? Do you think patients can contribute to basic biomedical research projects? That's a, that's a great point. Um, I think, you know, when we think about clinical research projects or, you know, population-based uh, research that takes place, it's a lot more straightforward to connect with patients, I think. But a real black box of, of, of research, cancer research, um, is the kind of research that takes place behind locked doors in a laboratory or in a, at, at the bench side. You know, I think both sides um, have, have difficulty um, entering into that space. 
on the researcher side, researchers very much who 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 are are pure scientists have a hard time finding patients or, or or finding places to to reach out to to get patients to be part of their their research team to contribute. And likewise, I think on on the patient side, if there are patients out there who are interested in being engaged in 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 some of these more uh, biomedical or, or basic research projects, it's hard for them to access that world as well. But the 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 beauty and and maybe some of the the, the thinking that needs to change in this world is both what we think that um, patients can contribute to this this type of research that takes place, as well as our ideas of the patients themselves. So I'm 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 a fairly good example of, of what I mean in terms of um, the patients themselves. We're we're, we're not just a diagnosis. Uh, many of us have uh, jobs, uh, background, education. Um, skills, talents, um, other parts of our identity and, and who we are that make us great people to contribute to a basic science project. I myself am a researcher as well as a cancer survivor, um, and so to have you, you know to, to to think that there are people out there who can contribute um, and and even understand with relative ease the kinds of work that is going on. These people exist. Um, and we all have very different backgrounds outside of just what we were diagnosed with or what our partners were diagnosed with or our family members were diagnosed with. We were much more than just that. And I think um, that's a piece that needs to change when we're thinking about how can these people be part of that research world, especially if you're a scientist or, or, or an academic person. On the flip side, I think we also need to think about the types of ways that patients can get engaged. Sure, there's going to be patients out there who are interested in getting their hands dirty and sitting at the bench and trying to learn about what's going on and contribute in that way in a very you know, um, straightforward, science-y way. But there's so much to, more to it. There's Patients can come into a laboratory and be a bridge to reaching patient organizations that maybe these, these principal investigators or these scientists want to be able to reach out to to get um, perhaps funding or get more engagement or build a, 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 a partnership with um, because they they happen to belong to a, a, a disease organization that that, that laboratory is working on. Also, um, patients are great communicators for the most part. Um, we, we are exceptional at telling a story. And when you tell a story, not only can you inspire people, but you can also bring people into, uh, and, and whether it's team members, you can bring them into the world of the disease that they're studying. You can have them see challenges or roadblocks that they've never seen before. One example was uh, I met with a researcher who uh, was studying a, a type of cancer. Um, surprise, surprise. That's all I do. Um, but this particular researcher was so focused on developing treatment for cancer or a treatment to stop the growth of these tumor cells um and a patient partner came in and said well you know you keep telling me that we're years away from a cure for cancer if not decades um how about just allowing my hair to grow back after the chemotherapy because i don't like being bald all the time and they developed a spin-off kind of project whereby the new focus became why does chemo make people lose their hair and how can we get that back because if we're not going to cure cancer, let's at least make the road um, better. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different ways that I think um, patients can uh, participate in, the, in this world and give insights into things that researchers really don't have insights to. Lastly, I think one of the most important parts of any, of any research lab in terms of sustainability is the ability to get continued funding for the research. And that's dependent many times on grants and many times on relationships with, with particular organizations. And so we've actually developed a program at, uh, at Sick Kids whereby survivors of childhood cancer now come into the labs and they work with uh, uh, PIs and they work with members of the research team to co-write grants. Um, because if you can write a grant together whereby the patient partner is now sitting down and saying, I really believe in this project because of X, Y, or Z, and that's words on a page coming from someone with lived experience that now is going to be fed to a committee by people like us who are now making decisions on whether that research should get funded. Off the bat, we know that that's important research because it's coming from someone who's been through it. Um, and so there's so many different 
ways, if we are just imaginative about it and creative about it, that these patients can really get involved in, in basic science, you know, wet lab research, um, wow. because it's, it's not just the stuff that's happening at the bench. That's the important piece. It's all of these other things that really, really make that work come together and move forward and change lives ultimately. So in closing, what little actions would you say we can take tomorrow to advocate for better funding infrastructure and to really all start to collectively make these changes that you folks are so wonderfully making together? Really, it's to give feedback and get involved. So when CCS designs support, they're designed for researchers and for patient partners based on research and input that we received. So really, anybody who wants to get involved can, and then their voice can be part of that input. Mine will be easy and quick, because um, for me, it's always the same thing. I think it's communication overall, is communicating this outward and inward. Um, we've talked a lot, we've done some great work on on things like mentorship programs and stuff, on bringing along the, the next the next group of, of, you know, people that are going to be involved in this work. I always say we're by no means an expert. I never wanted this job when I got it. It was something that was, was brought into me because of, you know, my wife being sick and I'm always very grounded in that. So what I did in a lot, you know, Michael put it so eloquently before in summarizing everything is we come from different backgrounds and we come from different experiences, but we're able to combine and bring that together as a collective. And I think it's important to give back and, those are some of the things that we're doing now. And I think we've got some traction with some work that we've done, which was, you know, to all of us, I think hugely important. And so it's, you know, what do we do with it after today? And that's, that's the question for all of us. And I think that's why we're also passionate about what we're doing and, and the work that we're doing. So I, you know, I thank everybody and thank everybody that I've worked with because it's, it's been a huge honor. I always call it an honor. And I also call it therapy because like Michael coming from a different background as a patient, as a caregiver, it's therapy for us too. And, it's a difficult role and a role you never want. But um, when you're put into it, and most families at some point in their lives are going to face some sort of diagnosis of cancer, you need to be aware of that. You need to be conscious of it, and you need to be prepared. Yeah, in terms of moving forward, I would say, you know, research getting much closer to the fundraising piece and, and having that translation um, into sort of simple terms in, ter in terms of what research is really trying to accomplish. You know, is this curing cancer? Is it, you know, better quality of life, um, sustainable life for a longer period of time, et cetera. But simplifying the message into something that, you know, from a donor's perspective, they can understand the impact. And, you know, when people talk to me, I say, if we change the way uh, research funding decisions are made, we should be improving the impact. So for those listeners here who, after hearing everything you've said, are like me and are super amazed and want to join in or just take part in any way that they can, how can people get involved with the work that you're doing? To get involved with CCF, you can sign up on our website. So we have a research website. It has a sign up where you can tell us what you're interested in, what you'd like to participate in. Or you can email us at research at cancer.ca. So now before we wrap, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners that you feel we haven't covered yet today? You go first. I just have one thing specific to researchers um, because we've talked a little bit about how it's a little bit more challenging for basic scientists to be able to implement patient engagement. And I just... I want to reiterate that we recognize that as a research funder, we recognize patient engagement is that much harder when you're that many more steps removed um, from patients in your work. Um, and we do support that. Um, so as a research funder, we offer supports on our website. We have a site specifically dedicated for patient engagement and stakeholder supports for researchers. And there's a section specifically for basic scientists. We also have informal supports like workshops for applicants to specific research competitions and matching. And we're developing more formal support. So I just want to share that, that we hear you. We know it's a challenge, but we also believe in it. And I'm excited to see the change happening. For me, it's more a thank you. Um, I think you're pushing the edge and 
And what we're doing is innovative, uh, evolving, and a value for researchers, like Michael said, and for patients, families, and caregivers. So keep what you're doing and, you know, people like ourselves and the hundreds and thousands of other people that are doing exactly the same thing will continue to be engaged and, and to re-engage and we'll get new people out of this, which I think is a win for all of us. Yeah, I think um, for too long, um, clinicians, whether it's doctors or surgeons or or anybody else in the healthcare sector, um, scientists, researchers, um, and, and patients ourselves, um, we've all been working towards the same goal. Uh, we've all wanted to um, make, uh, develop better therapies, uh, make the experience of having cancer better. Um, and, you know, until fairly recently, we've been trying to do it independently. Um, patient engagement is really where we all kind of finally have come together. And now with patients, clinicians, um, and researchers, um, we've just started a new and exciting way of really moving a dial on research that's going to take place in Canada here at our front door, um, as well as elsewhere in the world, um, because we're finally all learning to speak the same language and working together to the, the goal we've all had independently all along. Um, but now we're doing it together and now we're doing it stronger. And, uh, it's really exciting. Yeah, and I would just add that, you know, beyond being a patient advocate, we are so many more things than that. You know, we are patients, caregivers, volunteers, advocates, uh, funders, uh, donors, et cetera. So I think it's really important uh, for the researchers, if they are, if they have concerns, you know, to reach out to some of us and, and have a good discussion on what value we can bring to the table. I think you'd be surprised, and I think in a very good way. Beautifully said. Thanks again to all of you for coming on to our podcast today and for sharing your experiences with us. I'd like to remind everyone out there to check out our website, asperusual.substack.com for further information like resources shared by today's guests and interactive transcripts from this and previous episodes. Um, these fine folks have put out a publication as well, which we will share on our Substack. But for those of you who are interested right now in looking it up, it's called Co-Creation of a Patient Engagement Strategy in Cancer Research Funding, and that is freely available. So if you search it on your web browser, you'll be able to find it and read it. Um, please also remember to subscribe to our podcast through our website or wherever it is that you download your podcast episodes like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also catch this episode on our YouTube channel if you or someone you know would like to listen along with closed captioning. Lastly, if you have any questions or comments or want to pitch an episode idea, please send an email to anna.com as per usual at gmail.com. These emails honestly make my day, so please do keep them coming. And until next time, let's keep working together to make patient engagement and research the standard or as per usual.